We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. Come at you Thursday afternoon. It's 1.30 p.m. as we sit down to record this. As Britt, you just told me you woke up, what would that be, 10 hours ago to start writing a column off of uh, last night's loss by the Wolves uh, to the Atlanta Hawks in Atlanta. It was... A very interesting night, and before we even started talking about this, before I hit record, uh, you you referred to the game as effed up. So I, I decided to uh, I decided to just hit record. <laughs> let, let, let's get it going. Um, fire away. Why was last night effed up? Uh, because it was inconsistently called. Uh, it was a pretty clear cut way that. Uh, Cat has been at once his own worst enemy and now being treated uh, based on that history rather than on more recent history. And I just think uh, we've we've reached the saturation point on uh, Cat derision, I think. And I think it now is time to uh, turn the page and take a look at what Cat has been doing uh Fairly selflessly. I mean, you wouldn't know it to uh, talk to him, but uh, on the down low, uh, the guy is doing things that are grunt work, are the things that role players often do. Uh, he is unquestionably the best player on this team, and I would argue the most valuable player on this team, given how little bulk and brawn is behind him. Um, and yet, um, you know, I, I I just don't think uh, I don't think we have at a stage both league wide among referees, among and fellow NBA personnel, and among the Wolves fan base. I just don't think there is enough uh, appreciation for what's going on with this team relative to Cat right now. So let me ask you this: How, how much do you think specifically that play at the end of the third quarter? with the technical and subsequent flagrant foul had to do with Kat's reputation in the referee's eyes? I think it had to do with, uh, it direct answer to your question, some, not totally. 
I think the fact that they didn't see it when it was happening in real time uh, made it pretty, you know, suspicious that when they went back and look at it, they go, oh, well, this is a flagrant foul, you know? You know, what's interesting is like, do you think, so what triggered the even ability to be able to to review the play is the fact that it came as the Final buzzer second. expired, right, right? right? So the refs can look and will always look as a pretty much just if the shot's a buzzer beater to make right. sure it got out of their hands. So they're at the monitor there. I think what's what's an interesting to, thing to think about if that, you know, if that comes a, a second earlier and and the refs don't decide that they want to review it themselves as a hostile act, if Nate McMillan would have challenged the play, right? Uh-huh. And and who which it literally happened directly in front of Nate McMillan. It was right in front of the Hawks bench, I yes. believe. Yes. You know, so so that's a, that's a kind of I, I think the answer to that is no. I do too. I, I don't think I don't think Nate McMillan would have, um, because I don't think it was an obvious. We see it all the time. Volatile. We mm-hmm. see it all the time. Somebody gets kicked on a shot, but not enough to create the kind of contact. Flagrant fouls are re- they were originally meant to prevent injury with people. You know, this mm-hmm. isn't Draymond Green winding up and smacking somebody in the you know, in the nuts uh, with his full full kick. This is a guy um, who went out and can has been loose with his feet on his shots all season. He's gotten whistled for it a bunch of times. I'm not forgiving that aspect of it. I'm saying, does this particular play rise to the level of a flagrant foul? I think at best, at absolute best, bending over backwards, it's a borderline call. And you've already assessed the guy a taunting team. Exactly, yeah. And now you're wiping out the basket. You're giving them two shots and the ball in the final seconds. It could have been, it wound up being what a, a six point swing. It could have been a nine point swing if they'd hit a three on the possession. Five, eight, but yeah. 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 So, I mean, it, I, it's, it's one of those things that, and right on the heels of Ant being tossed, which I thought, again, just, that second tech was like, you know, it was literally within one full second of the first tech. Uh, let, me, let me let me pause you real quick. Um, the, the thing that that stood out to me that you just said there is the kick out, the leg kick out thing happens all the time. And it, I agree with that. Um cat does it all the time. It happens around the league all the time. It's a good point that that you say the the original reason for having flagrant fouls was to prevent injury. That was not an injury prevention situation. So all that is true. The one part I disagreed with in your column today was that what led to this was the Onyeka Kongwu getting into it with cat sort of thing. And you said it was an obvious taunting foul on a Kongwu two minutes prior to that. And I think, in my opinion, that's also something we see all the time where a guy blocks someone's shot and says, give me that shit. And it isn't called a taunting ball. Sometimes it is. Right. Oh, I would, I would agree with that. That if, um, you said obvious though, that that's what I disagree by the standards of what was being called, you know, two minutes later. Um, yeah, I mean, but it's two minutes later, right. Wouldn't it be different if the, if the timelines there were reversed? I don't think it was an obvious technical foul on a Kongu. I think it certainly, fueled cat into all of it. I and he was think, pissed that the refs didn't call it, but yeah. 
here's what I think. I think that if Cat hadn't gone to the ref and said, why didn't you see that foul? I got fouled when I got hit. He would have had a much better chance of getting the taunting foul on Okongu, who was saying that shit even, that. even before. That. Um, yeah. So what you're saying is, is that by objective standards, it's a taunting foul. I mean, you know, any way you want to look at it, Cat's behavior should have nothing to do with the situation, but somehow it does. But meanwhile, Okongu's behavior didn't have anything to do with the call at the other end where he gets the N1 on similar t- contact. That that one that one was was bad too. Or or it was very similar to yeah, very similar contact wasn't called one way, was called the other right way. Right after the guy I, berated him. I mean, uh, you know, if you want to play see, I just think if, that that's if you want to play the reputation game, you've got yeah. a second year backup center in the NBA berating, you know, a one, two-time all-star, best player on the other guy's team, so on and so forth. You've already thrown one guy out of the game on specious reasons. I mean, it's just the whole thing. That's fair. The collective stink got too suffocating for my taste. I mean, I just think it was right. – and, and look – Bill Kennedy is a mismanagement. Mismanagement is the biggest refing issue. I I don't really have like guys miss calls so much. Right. So many right. refereeing calls right. are subjective, and that is what it is. When I the only time I really have problems with refs is in mismanagement of the game, the momentum, the flow of all of it, and, and Bill Kennedy and his crew and consistency. Yeah, right. The, Bill sure, Kennedy actually, that. I think Bill Kennedy is a great ref. I should say that right up front, and I also think that Bill Kennedy's taunting call on Cat was a proper call. The guy was down yes. on the ground. Cat stood over him for a second and barked at him and then spun around like a, like a, you know, victorious warrior. That deserved a taunting technical. As did I think Cat would even agree with that. Yeah. I think Cat knew he was getting attacked for that, right. and he wanted to because he was like, this young punk was just saying stuff to me. Right. So I think that's totally that. It's... It's, it, and yeah. that's what Bill Kennedy called. But now, mm-hmm. next thing you know, you know, we've got this review, right. and some yo-yo and Sea Caucus or one of his crew says, "Hey, you know, uh, by the way, Okongu went down forwards. You know, usually if you get kicked in the thigh, if it's hard enough, you don't go down forwards. He crumpled like he had been injured, got up, played fine. He crumpled like he got kicked in the balls." That's how you crumple, which right? yeah, which didn't happen, obviously. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, no, man. It was it was all uh, it was all a mess, and it's it's unfortunate in the context of what has been a as Cat the Scorpio himself described as a fiery <laughs> season for him. Um, and and it's just, I don't know. I personally, I'm I'm just kind of sick of all of this. Uh. I don't like having to sit down last night and make, you know, 50, 60% of what I'm going to talk about be about refing and antics and right. clarifications on all that. And I'm sure you don't like having to write your column about that too. I mean, right. you started it with, apparently it's time to talk about cat again. Yeah. And, which and is not what we, I want to talk about again right now, I guess, but, but it is but it's a story at the same time. I think it was appropriate because I think, as I said in the beginning, I'm I'm 
I think cat is easy game now for people. I think that people think, hey, you know, the guy may be the best player on the team and he may be a two-time all-star and he may be playing in a, a very selfless season on the court. His behavior at both ends of the court, his fulfillment of what they've asked him to do in terms of his role, all that stuff. You know, meanwhile, Ant is charmed because Ant is charming. So it, because Ant is charming, you know, his lapses go by the boards. Right. That was an interesting. I mean, uh, and not only that, but it's all of a sudden it's Ant being led astray by Cat's example. Do you think that Cat's persistent uh, rah-rah to the refs has has had any influence on the frequency with which Ant complains to the refs? No. I don't know what I think about that, actually. Um, Do you think that Ant really follows the lead of anybody on the court besides himself, with a possible exception of somebody like Dame Lillard in terms of the way he not, shoots? Not intentionally, or right? Like, you know what I mean? Where I, I he is very independent in in everything he does. Um, but at the same time, like what has Ant played like 115 games in his career now, something like that? The vast majority of those games um, and really like 75 percent of his minutes, he shares the floor with Kat. Um, he's out there with Kat. Who does that? So I, I don't know. I think he's an independent thinker and all those things, but he's also seeing that all the time. And. I, I don't know. I I think it would be a little counterintuitive to say it has no impact. Now, what you pointed out in the column, which was a really good follow up to that was what about Patrick Beverly? He's hot all the time too, and 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 he's far he, more he's respected in that, in that locker well. And the difference I see between Ant and Pat Beverly, because Ant does talk to the refs a lot, yeah. Um, and a, as is Patrick Beverly. What I find frustrating about Ant's talking to the refs, you mean Cat? No, Ant. Okay, okay, yeah, yep. About Ant talking to the ref, not just last night, but in general is it often takes him out of the play, right? He's right, going for the right, basket, right, doesn't get the right. foul call, talks to the ref. Now it's five on four the other way. Patrick Beverly talks to the refs a ton, but I don't think he does it in situations that uh, he picks and chooses his spots, right? A dead ball, those you know, those sort of things. I think he understands that he could take himself out of the play when he does that. But he also, maybe that's he, just a problem. He takes himself mentally out of the game. More, I knew you'd follow recently, up that, which is true. More yeah. recently. Yeah. I mean... Since he's had a, a, a assortment of injuries and since the team is further into the season and is, you know, the stakes seem to be higher, all of those things I think are contributing to Ant being more and more vociferous with, with the refs and his teammates and the coaches on the bench, you name it. You know, he, I remember him unilaterally deciding to foul, uh, uh, somebody, I think it was in the Clippers game or something, um, to set up a hack of somebody, and the guy hit two free throws. And you, it was clearly Pat Bev's own, you know, invention mm. on that. Yeah, uh, and and he has earned the right to have his own invention. But my point is, people like to deride Cat as being a terrible locker room leader, and then say, "Oh, look at." how he's influenced these people. Well, you can't have it both ways. 
You know, if he's a terrible locker room leader, then people just shine him on anyway. They say we also don't know, right? Like there, there's so much, you know, guessing in that of of how who and what he is as a locker room leader. You know, I think it is fairly easy to guess if we know. I mean, you and I both been in enough locker rooms, maybe not at the professional level, but we know what type of attitude flies with athletes and what type of attitude is looked askance. And I think that Cat Cat doesn't have um, – he is not a natural leader of fellow athletes. I think I – Right, right, right. I, I, I agree I, with that. But but, but I, I, I don't – I think it's different to say he's a, not a natural leader and, and to make that synonymous with he's taking away from others, right? I don't think Cat is a natural leader of men. But I don't think he's a bad locker room influence. I agree on, with that. Young I agree with that. that, that that's but what that means is the point I was making. And the, the reason this argument is consistent on my end was because you were saying, not you, but people who were saying that Cat is unfairly influencing Ant or influencing his teammates. Um, D'Lo pretty much said, I don't go for all right. that rah-rah stuff. And he's saying it has an effect on the team. Well, you know, guess what? Uh, D'Lo not closing out on corner threes has an effect on team too. You know, I mean, it's just there really is this thing of uh, um, D'Lo is great on defense as long as Pat Bev does the dirty work. Right. Who does the dirty work for Cat? We got a double standard there. You know, I mean, and, and, and again, cat is his own worst enemy here. You and I have torn our hair out or rolled our eyes at a lot of the things he says when he is trying to make points, he has a, a, a penchant for being grandiloquent to, for being somebody who is grandiose, uh, and to put himself in the center of melodramas. I remember he got rear-ended in a minor collision and said he had a 90% chance of dying or something. I mean, that's, you know, you can roll out whatever greatest hits of cat you want, you know, that I take all the blame and give my teammates all the credit. I mean, there's a million of them. I go for 2080 balls. Uh, you know, I mean. Pioneers of excellence. Yeah, yeah we there, you go. there you go. So. We can make a list. We do that over. Exactly. And so. But my point is, yes, those things can be mock-worthy. But when Cat is upset at referees and opponents who do him wrong, he's sticking up for himself as a star in the NBA. I don't understand. Nikola Jokic, did, did you see clips of that thing last night? Yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, meanwhile, you know, the Wolves fan base, part of it anyway, is is carping on Cat. Jokic, you know, just goes berserk. And it's certainly not the first time this season that that's happened. And he did it in the playoffs. Certainly not. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, Joel Embiid. You know, Joel Embiid is a tremendous defender and a great player. He's in the MVP conversation, as Jokic was an MVP last season. How many times have we seen Joel Embiid piss and moan about incidental contact 
and collapse his 270-pound body onto the court and spread his arms out, you know? It, it, it is, Britt. It, it's double standards on double standards. Um, we, we, we are listing a bunch of them. What I wonder about, though, is, like, why, right? Like, these things don't just happen. It's not just bad luck. It's not the league being out to drive the Timberwolves. To oh, the, I agree. The, and, and the bottom of the so there's so there's reasons and and it, there's nuance there's context in all of this and i don't know it, it, it's just it's complicated and and part of it is I, and i know you agree with this but but part of it is on cat on on historical precedent yes probably that's the the biggest factor and and sometimes like until that changes it's going to come back to bite him I think in untimely situations like it, like it right. did last night. And I wrote an entire column about that in late October. I mean, yeah. when he went with the whole Valanchunas and the refs thing, mm -hmm. I think it was the third game of the season. And, yep. you know, I, I called him out in pretty stark terms. I remember his second year in the league calling him out uh, for saying all this, the game, blame everything on me and Gorgi Jeng, you know, looking away in disgust. And then when I went to Gorgie, him saying as diplomatically as he could, you know, you, you need to be more specific about what you're taking the blame for. Um, right. I mean. It grates, man. It, it grates. It grates. But what we are at the point where it has begun to obscure what Cat is doing for the Timberwolves. Who is what? You're going to run Nas Reed, bring back Greg Monroe, get Nate Knight out there. I mean, you know, where's this team going? Where's this team going? With no, totally. No, I have, that's 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 absolutely accurate. Let's uh let's take a break here and then talk about where this team has been going prior to that weird, weird chaos last night. Back with Britt in a second. Today's episode is brought to you by 20 by 20 Solutions, a Minneapolis-based technology consulting company that works with your business to help you build and sustain success. A great front office puts together a winning team with a coach who can put together a winning strategy. When leadership does its job and it all comes together, that means success. Success in business isn't any different. Business leaders need to find the right mix of technology, strategy, and talent to make things really work. And that's never been truer for growing companies. 20 by 20's team has helped grow companies from thousands of customers to tens of millions by helping businesses across a wide range of industries, from consumer technology and healthcare to manufacturing and even human spaceflight. Reach out to Clark and Ben, who are Wolves fans and fans of this show, by emailing them at team at 20by20solutions.com. That's T-E-A-M at 20x20solutions.com. And their team will review your needs and help you put together a plan before you need to make any commitments. 20 by 20 solutions, technology, workflow, architecture, strategy. They're your sixth man on a winning team. All right, we're back with Britt Robson, Min Post. Um, his column was predominantly on that Atlanta Hawks game from last night, Cat and everything that transpired in that game. Uh, Britt, I, I do think, though, which, which you didn't talk about as much, you, you did hit on the Warriors and... Uh, what was the other game? The Knicks game. Right. In previous two. Yeah, bit. the previous two, right. Yeah. Overall, since these guys have been back from COVID, the Wolves have, quote unquote, been back um, at full strength. They are, that's eight games. 
and I believe they're five and three over that stretch. So even amidst, um, you know, amidst some of this, this chaos and tensions right. running higher and, and the every game kind of seeming to be more, you know, I don't know, dramatic uh -huh. than, than it has been. The Wolves are on a, a better run of games, not necessarily uh, against great opponents, but that at least provides some uh, inspiration, I think, as they come up with a come up on a very difficult stretch of six games here um, against very good teams, specifically really good offenses. So how do you feel that these past couple weeks of games um, have set them up for these next few weeks, of, these next few weeks of games? I am concerned over the third quarter performance in the last two. That strikes me as a very immature team. I actually thought they were moving beyond that. Um, it was very disappointing to see the Knicks and then the Hawks, two teams, by the way, that I think if they played each other 10 times, the Wolves at this stage should win a majority. They certainly should win a majority against the Knicks and at least go five and five against the Hawks. Uh, I agree with that. Um, so those are winnable games. Granted, they were on the road. And in that eight-game stretch, I think they had three at home and five on the road. Uh, so they are playing a very road-heavy schedule. Um, and even the home games really aren't a home stand. They're single games. So you don't really sleep in your own bed for very long, if at all. Um, so I would say that what has been positive is that Delo's shot is going in. Noel has found himself. Um, and Torian Prince has actually been really good in minor infusions of minutes. Um, what is not going good is uh, Pat Beverly and Jade McDaniels continue to shoot like they're shooting well and they're not. Um, mm. And I think that makes a difference. They're both cranking out about, you know, three or four trays a game minimum and making, you know, less than 30% of them. Uh, you know, uh, I do think shot selection is important. I think moving the ball and getting it to people. Okogi was, you know, I, yeah, I'm a huge Okogi stan. What he did last night, um, I mean, just because you can get to the rim doesn't mean you can finish, Josh. I mean, the, the guy, you know, so I think they need to play smarter. Uh, I think they need to get the ball into the hands of people that know what to do with it. Um, I think that on defense, uh, they remain a team without much margin for error. Um, yeah. I am really impressed with how they've held that taut line between too antic and not antic enough. Uh, they've, they've held that turnover margin line really good. Now, they haven't converted as much as they were earlier in the season because I don't think the steals are quite as uh, good. I think Bando has hit a little bit of a wall recently. Teams have begun to scout him off the offensive glass a little bit more. And um, I think he's become a little bit, and, and rightfully so, infatuated with getting points for a change. And that may have diverted him a little bit from his overall energy, you know, energizer bunny role. But um, in general, I don't expect them to beat Brooklyn. Um, 
I who are the others? Uh, big big games. I know their Golden State is in there. Yeah, I I, got I think it they here. will beat Portland. Um, on Brooklyn, the- Portland, Golden State, Phoenix, Utah, Denver. Yeah, there That's you go. Six. There you go. I I would say that um, just you know how things change. Everybody would have penciled in Golden State as a loss, and then they had both Draymond and uh, Curry out. So. All things being equal, everybody being at full strength, only the Denver game, and that's only because, you know, Murray, they don't have, they're not at full strength. We know they won't be. But I would say that certainly Phoenix, um, Utah gives them trouble. Um, You know, it's going to be difficult. But that doesn't... All six of those teams have above average offensive ratings. Yes, yes. Um, with actually Golden State having the worst amongst them, and and I I think I get a little reactive to when the Wolves defense just gets totally picked apart as it did last night by the Hawks and mm-hmm. and Trey Young. I kind of I kind of assume then that that's going to lay a little bit of a blueprint for the next opponent. Um, I think specifically the way Trey operated is you know and. The, and the way they did it with the way he just kind of drags that high wall over to the sideline and then is able to find the roller there for a lob or just kind of sitting underneath the basket. I I, I think that other teams could duplicate that. But I've said that about other times this season as well, right. where the with the, the Clippers remember earlier in the right, year yeah, when, when they well, were just splitting that. Right. And, and Washington was a, was a different way there too. But to the Wolves credit, it... <laughs> It abides, right? Like the the, the defense, it, it does bounce because back because they hustle. I mean, yeah. I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they do put pressure on the ball, and mm-hmm. that's a Finch first principle on defense, and it is effective. I was surprised at how often they willingly switched the pick and roll so that Cat was out just inside the three point arc face up on Trey Young. I mean, that, that's not a great outcome. I mean, I think it was just, <laughs> Fitch kind of said in post game, he's like, well, we just kind of started throwing everything because right, Trey, right. Trey can wreck that high wall. Yeah, right. I mean, he can, but he can also, I mean, he, he obviously was hot. And so yeah, I, you put, got hot. you yeah. put, because Beverly is out, you put either Okogia or McDaniels on him and just hope for the best. But when you don't put Cat on him or almost anybody else, uh, I mean, he's yeah. making th- he made like four thirty-five footers, I think, in that yeah, third right. quarter. Uh, and when that- right, he, he wasn't just picking it apart. Then he was just like you know going right through he, it. With he found, shot. he like, found a rhythm. Yeah. yeah, and then that one play where Cat literally looked like a matador or maybe a statue. That one play where Euro stepped past Cat. Cat looked yeah. like he was like trying to not be seen, you know. Uh, I mean, it was such a horrible. Uh, I mean, it, it. This team continues to be a team that, as as I just mentioned, doesn't have a lot of margin for error. But depending on the way other teams' opponents attack it, um, it's almost like. Uh, when you have these uh, stratomatic games or these uh, games, these football games where 
you lay a defense card down and an offensive card down and pull them apart. And who guessed right in terms of the play? <laughs> it's like whatever the Wolves are trying to take away strategically that night versus whatever the offense is trying to get, if it matches up, then the Wolves could be pretty effective. Because as Finch said the other night in answer to a uh, Atlanta beat writer, I assumed it was, all these national media, because they won in Madison Square Garden, suddenly are looking at the stat sheet and saying, oh, the Wolves are a top 10 defense. How did that happen? Right. So now we're getting those <laughs> questions, you know. And so Finch laid it out and he said, we play harder, more aggressively on the ball than most teams do in drop or other types of coverage. And that can discombobulate opponents who aren't used to it. And um, I think that's true. I think that's one factor. I think another factor is that uh, it's a make or miss league and Finch prefers to guard the paint more than the arc. And so if a team is hot from the arc, there's a very good chance the Wolves are going to get torched. Right. It's, I, I've thought about it in a lot. Or I've, I've started switching some of my thinking to all of this stuff in the context of a playoff series, right? Oh, yeah, that'll be tough. That's a, that's a whole other level. Yeah, right. They're like, not ready for a, a, a playoff series against a good team because they will get yeah. picked apart. Right. There's just, there, I guess there are, yeah, there are things to pick apart. There is that margin of error to, to, to try to exploit. And, and, and you're right. It, it will, is getting ahead of you. will definitely do it. Right. I'm, yeah. Um, to, to the, uh, the defense point or the, the opting to have teams beat you from three versus from two. Uh, I know we, we, we've talked about this some where the wolves have gotten good quote unquote, good shooting luck. I do think, Something that that plays into that is the fact that, as you said, they hustle, they close out well. That's a factor. But as much as we've talked about the this starting five and their incredible net rating this season, I didn't realize that when it was that plus 50 net rating before all the guys went down with COVID, that opponents were only shooting 16% from three against the Wolves starting five. And, you know, I mean, even, even if we want to say like, Oh, their hustle knocks off right, right, eight percent, right. Like right. That, that's you're you're still getting another twelve yes. no, percent of, of 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 shooting luck. Um, and I don't even necessarily mean that as as an indictment. And quite frankly, when we've talked about it, like we knew that starting five in and of itself was not going to be enough. We talked, but they don't they don't play together enough. There was obviously going to be regression. So it sounds like I'm framing this as a negative thing, but what I think is is encouraging is since these guys have came back and they've been at full strength and the Wolves have actually been getting beat with the starting five on the floor, that net rating has drastically dropped. The Wolves have still been winning games. Right. And, and that's a credit to Finch finding those blended lineups more so. I think I think, and I, I, I said it before the season started with you, I thought the, the biggest one of the biggest things that Finch had to solve was rotations with this team. It was just a roster that made that really difficult. And I think that has become increasingly on point with Finch as the season has gone on. And I think Jalen Noel has helped unlock a lot of that in finding different lineup combinations. And that has to sustain because the dominance of the starting five will not sustain. And it also just probably won't play together that much because Patrick Beverly 
gets hurt a lot, you know, like knock on wood. I think it's a matter of time till Jared Vanderbilt like bruises his tailbone and has to miss a week or, you know, even just the the natural wearing ants never missed a game for an injury deal. Cat have been like have been healthy for the most part. So um, I I, I find that encouraging that Jalen Noel has unlocked a lot in these blended lineups and some of those other guys like Torian Prince and others have haven't been as big of sort of sore thumbs when they enter the game. Right. I think what is interesting about Prince is even if he... I like him, man. I've liked him all year. <laughs> even if he doesn't <laughs> play very well, the role he plays on the team, he just needs to be not terrible. I mean, you know, I mean, he. Yeah. you need a little size at that position and you're surrounded by shooters um, and he's comfortable with that game. He's comfortable being like a fourth option from three-point territory. And he has learned that flying around will keep him on the court more than, you know, measured defense will. Yeah. Uh, and consequently, I think he he kind of, flames out after about six minutes, but that's all Finch really wants anyway, you know? Yeah. Right. And so I think it certainly isn't the size of the role, nor the prominence of the role that he envisioned for himself. But I looked at net rating the other day, just casually last nine games, last 15 games, whatever, you know, just going through different gradations. Dorian Prince has been very valuable and it's not just garbage time. It's, he, he comes well, in. Finch has used him to kind of like uh, bridge clog a leak. Yeah. Right, right, you know, right. and it, and it's, it's in these times. I mean, a lot of if memory serves a lot of the time it's he checks in for the first time. Third quarter, uh, like third quarter. Right. Or right. or even earliest, like kind of mid second quarter. Right. Right. And and oftentimes that's triggered by Jade McDaniels getting his three first half fouls that he does nightly or, you know. Or, or some sort of some sort of foul trouble. They they can they go to Prince and to I think oh, when Delo got foul trouble. Yeah, he's he's the break glass in case of emergency. Guy. And also because um, he's a veteran who position wise, I think he works with Delo well. I have no idea what their two player net rating would be, but I think that they're both veterans who understand what the other one is doing on the court. I think he is good beside Ant for the opposite reason. I don't think he's on the court very often with Ant, but when he is, I think he covers some of Ant's, you know, lapses on defense. Um, I think he tries to be helpful on the court because he knows that Finch is smart enough to see that. And he's pretty desperate for minutes as who can blame him. I mean, he's finishing up a $13 million contract. Um, so I, I agree with you that, uh, Prince and Noel, Noel, what makes Noel valuable is suddenly Noel can be a playmaker for other people. That was not right. something, um, I mean, I'm sure that when Rosas drafted him, he might've said, and he can even do a little point guard, you know, but nobody took that seriously, you know, uh, First of all, his handle, I think, has improved. His confidence has improved to make his handle even better. He's seeing the court better on purpose. And just, you know, apropos of nothing, I don't buy at all that he always believed in himself. This guy has had a confidence issue 
at various times in his in his stints here. Um, I think he would like to say, you know, I've always been this confident. But what we've seen when he is this confident is a different player. Right. I, I think what's what's really interesting um, about him and it, and it kind of, uh, again, counters the narrative that he came into the league with of just being a shooter, which was always wrong, mm-hmm. um, is the idea that he shoots over 60 percent of his shots from two. He is an attacker. Right. Um, and it's a it's another strike against the like Beasley and him are the same position. Exactly. Same role sort very, of very different. And actually Beasley really shoots. good together, at least at one end of the court. I mean, they really, um, that's a baton pass. You don't want the big three taking turns, but I don't mind Beasley and Noel taking turns at all. Right. The the Get numbers with those two. Yeah. Sorry. We got a little <laughs> bit of, we got a little bit. I think we're, I think we're back. Um, oh, okay. With, with, with those two on the floor, the defense has actually been good over the stretch. So that might be a little bit of a small sample size. Oh, well, Kogi and, and Torian Prince, actually, Finch gets, Maybe. he says what they need is on-ball defense. That is the priority when he when those two guys share the court. Get somebody else in the game who can defend the ball. And Noel has actually defended the ball pretty well. Beasley has yet to defend the ball uh, since he's come to Minnesota, as far as I can see. That's true. Um well, let's actually let's let's mix in one more break here and then right. and then kind of look forward at the, the rest of the year. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and beaches all right, back again with Britt Robson of Min Post for a final segment here. Britt, we, we've been talking um, a lot about what's immediately been happening, what's kind of been happening around them. We're starting to get an idea of of really what the identity of this team is as some players come into focus, some players present themselves, some players kind of prove to, to be uh, bits of a letdown. Um, and w- with that comes... You know what's not only the rotation going to be for the rest of the season, but but what's the roster going to be for the rest of the season? And I'm curious as as the trade line, trade deadline comes, 
what you would think in Finch's eyes is the most expendable player in the in the Wolves rotation um, to potentially be replaced via trade. Oh, Kobe. But he's not in the rotation. You know oh, that. I see. I see. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's he's probably tenth. Um, mm. Are you talking top eight? Yeah, sure. Eight, nine. I think that what the most intriguing, I, I, I would have to frame it that way, is Beasley, simply because he has a skill that is coveted and he's making a big number, which means he could fetch something significant in return. If a team is interested enough to trade for Beasley, they know his value and want his specific skill. I think maybe a big if. And, 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 well, I mean, the guy for all the ripping on Beasley, have you checked his, you know, his latest three, yeah, three no, point I, shooting? I mean, the guy still fills it up. Right. Um, and there are teams still, I mean, three point shooting is, has that. never been worse. Well, hasn't been worse for like five years. Um, there's a lot of clanking. I think if he was like a $6 million player rather than a $16 million player, I think tons of teams would be trying to go. I mean, look at what the Bryn Forbes just, you know, was a, was Nine a million, that right. teams were trade. Well, I think he was four and a half million. Oh, was he? Okay. But the, but I, I think that's, that's a poor um, man's Beasley, Bryn Forbes. Right, right. No, and Be- Beasley's above that. It's just that Beasley is, is more expensive, right, right. which I think, kind of uh complicates it i also think that but it might simplify um, it maybe if it, a it team could, has for, a 16 million dollar yeah. guy that they don't like i mean i don't know what for mm-hmm. example sadaransky makes just to pick one out of a hat i think like 11 yeah okay so but yeah you could work that you know something like where uh, you know and and to have a big combo guard point guard you know somebody who you know can fill that backcourt role on offense and the wolves you know even though noel has kind of come through uh when Pat, if you're going to play Pat Bev and D'Lo together as much as Finch wants to, um, I think you know having Sadoransky or somebody like that is an option. I also obviously think that a different kind, a better Torian Prince um, in the in the three four role combo forward role would be important. Um, or you take somebody's awful sixteen million dollar player and get a pick. You know, and yeah. and maybe it's a pick like twenty seventh, but you know, see, I I think that's what Finch wouldn't be into. I I think he sees value in Beasley and in, in that he is a shooter. Yes, um, and, and that this team, a team competing for the playoffs, does want that that shooter option out there, and and then that, that isn't something that he would want to have replaced for a different skill set. You know that that's. Now that you say that, um, I think that I'm leaning into my own bias a little too much, buying the idea that Noel uh, can not replace Beasley, but is a sufficient, you know, placeholder in those Beasley minutes. But one of the catechisms I go by that I just ignored, if you want to know how much a coach likes or dislikes somebody, look at minutes played. And Beasley is in the top three. Now, some of that is he never got sick. Um, but yeah. but still, I mean, Malik Beasley is behind Ant and Cat uh, in terms of minutes played on this team. So Fitch obviously likes him on the court. 
Well, okay. So along those lines, this is my answer to that question. I think it lines up. Um, I think the player that Finch would most like to replace is Nas Reed uh-huh. on the team. Uh, and those backup center minutes. I, I think Finch, like most people, see you know some ball skills in Nas um, and, and that he can you know space the floor a little bit. But I, I say Nas because what this team desperately needs more is rebounding and it needs size on the interior that that they really miss in the minutes that that cat rests for this team and i think we've seen finch get more aggressive with cat's total minutes what was that three four games ago where cat played the entire second half because they felt they couldn't survive without the physicality right. out there so that would be my guess for what finch would want to replace most within the Wolves rotation and just kind of have that being a an athletic but more traditional backup five who is is physical enough to to really just just help the rebounding and maybe give up a little bit offensively but uh but give you a lot more defensively. Do you think that the, the fact that Nate Knight fouls too much, you think that's why he doesn't get elevated over Nas because Nate Knight does I think it's do some he's of that. 6'8". I think it's because he's six. But he plays six ten. He plays. I, I think he plays hard. I mean, he's put it this way. I think he's an easy slot in for Vando. When Vando goes out, if you wanted to put Knight in on that, yeah, role, I think he's a four on that role. Yeah, but Nas is kind of a four too. You know, uh, Nate, Nate Knight. Nate Knight is a two way player who who shined a little bit in the COVID time, like freaking Lance Stevenson. Okay. You know. But Nas, um, Nas could be that too. I mean, Nas, no, I, I, I. This isn't me complimenting Nas. No, no, this isn't. No, this I isn't know. A but Nas. My, my point is, is that if in fact Finch wants to see what a non-Nas rotation is like, why did he dump Greg Monroe? I know there's salary reasons in that, but why does he uh, continue to not want to put Nate Knight in those circumstances? I think in terms of fiber in the paint, which is really what you're talking about, Nate Knight can't touch Nas's ceiling, but he very, very infrequently will go to Nas's floor. Nas is all over the place on defense. He's really good one night, really awful the next. I think he's a guesser. Yep. I think he guesses a lot on defending people. Um, I think he also, if you talk about somebody who's been influenced by Cat in terms of pitching at the refs, I think he's exhibit A. I mean, he his sense of entitlement on official calls is ridiculous. Right. I I think um I think Nate Knight is physical. Um I think he, in terms of rebounding, he provides a lot more as an offensive rebounder than a defensive rebounder. I think those are different skill sets as a whole. This team, you know, trends that way being having offensive rebounding skill set rather than a defensive rebounding skill set. And what, what I'm talking about is a center who's the opposite of that, um, who who right. is, is is similarly physical to Nate Knight, but is literally bigger and also right. and also just a really sound defensive rebounder. I also think that's you're describing Greg Monroe. No, uh, Greg Monroe is a bad defender. I he's slow. No, I'm, he's I'm, slow. Talk, I'm talking levels above that. OK. I'm talking levels. I mean, Greg Monroe. You're, oh, so you're Greg talking Monroe about a, 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 a trade piece for somebody. You're talking about getting yeah. uh, Torian Prince's 13 million 
in exchange for a guy like that. Yes, and I don't I don't have a specific okay. name. Maybe I should have I should have dug into that. No, 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 uh, no, a little fine. bit more. But but you know what I mean? Like there, right, there's right. a ton of there's a ton of backup centers around the league who are six eleven, seven foot. You know that could give you Mo fifteen Wagner? minutes. <laughs> also, no. <laughs> the elder Wagner boy. On that team, maybe maybe Robin Lopez. Maybe that's an example there. Ooh, um, yeah, I know, but I think he, I think he, he's fallen off fast. Last couple of times I've seen right. Robin Lopez play. Um, well, we, we don't have we don't have the specific name, but I, right. I don't think it'll be impossible to to find that type of big if they need it. I think the conundrum more so is particularly um, dependent on how good of a big you acquire is what impact that would have not only on Nas Reed as it would replace Nas completely in the rotation, but if it's an even higher caliber player than that, you know, how much does that player cut into Jared Vanderbilt's minutes at all? Um, and, and that's why I think this imaginary big I'm envisioning is, is not that good. Probably isn't the Torian Prince 13 million type of guy uh-huh. is, is more of like a, a $5 million guy and you do something um, where maybe it's Jake Lehman going out. And then also, I think to kind of sweeten the pot a little bit because another team might be interested is then maybe you have to include Nas Reed in the trade. Right, right. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So Jake, Jake Lehman Because you don't want to take Reed Nas for, out. Right. For that, that combined would be about six, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think something like, yeah, yep. I think you're, I think you're right there. So I don't know. I mean, you know, you know how I feel about Nas. I, I think he, uh, has a skill set that can make it in this league. Yeah. Um, I don't think that skill set meets up with this Timberwolves roster's needs. And when you talk about marginal improvement for a team, I think it's tweaks like that, um, that, that historically you see teams uh, make at the trade deadline. I, I think, and I think with Chris Finch, I, I'm, I don't know. I, I think, again, I think he likes Nas, but I don't think that's some, I don't think he would be pounding on the table to say, no, I still want Nas to be our backup. See, five. And the reason I mentioned Okogie is because I think Okogie's value goes up during the postseason. Mm, that's a good point. I think that uh, he's an expiring contract. So you just taking a look, see, he, you know, that he's going to you get his bird rights. He's a restricted free agent. Yeah. He's gonna, there, there's something nice. He's about going that. to bust his ass for whatever team acquires him and he's going to go out and if you stick him on somebody for six minutes in the playoffs you don't care if he scores in fact you tell him not to shoot and you essentially try to lock up is let's say it's luca let's say you're playing dallas throw throw kobe on luca and piss off luca for five minutes you know i mean to get that for next to nothing you know um right uh, that type of, or, you know, I mean, uh, he's also really good at, at doubling down on people. I mean, if you need to double team Jokic with a, you know, with a, a double down right. guy or something, but there's all kinds of ways of Kogi can be valuable in a short series when all you're trying to do is take something away from somebody. Um, and, and he just doesn't fit on this team. He, unfortunately, he's, again, well, minutes. I mean, he's, he's not playing. Yeah. He's not playing. And uh, I, I, I think that um, 
know? His role, his role is literally Jared Vanderbilt's in foul trouble, you play, or Patrick Beverly's in foul trouble, and you play. No, I think That's there it. are times when now when Noel and Beasley are on the court together and you need an on-ball guy and you don't have okay. to worry. He has got, I mean, believe me, I chart Okogie's minutes because <laughs> I'm interested in finding out you know, when the dude will play. But uh, uh, it's funny, know, we're both, you're suggesting trading Josh Okogie and I'm here suggesting trading. And you know why? Because we both think that the guy has hidden value. You know, I mean, yeah, that's, you know, I guess that's true. I mean, you're thinking that, you know, let's say Chicago wants a backup of Vucevic that, you know, Give, sure, give, you know that that's you know with all those guys who fly around in that lineup you know put Nas on the court with that crazy rookie they have and you know io yeah yeah i mean there's there's all kinds of yeah no i think that's what makes them um it, it's just going to be important for the wolves if they make any trades well it, i think it will just kind of be a requirement that the money they are sending out is not viewed as a, a gross negative and, and the right. real options for that on the, on the Wolves team are on the cheap Nas and a Kogi. And then um, depending on what a team thinks of Beasley and how much they value that skill set, maybe some will see Beasley as closer to a neutral value at his 15, 16. And then Torian Prince has some of that too, not because he's worth $13 million, but because he is expiring, expiring. So those are kind of like, it's probably the natural four to look at, but um, but I I would include all all four of them as potentially traded away right. options. And then we also have to take into consideration what I'm almost certain is a verbal or handshake deal in terms of what Beverly is going to get to stay here. Right. I talked about that last night. Oh, um, did you? Just because? Well, just because it was like, okay, he rolled his ankle again. Right. That's now another right. like. Ten million dollars assistant coach, right, right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and 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 it's not that Patrick Beverly hasn't had uh, a ton of value. Yeah, for for this team, it's just it's just it's. I think we've talked about it before. I, I think it's just an interesting proposition of of what he signals in the idea of of bringing him back. I mean, you're kind of in then on this iteration of of the roster like immediately. And I'm not saying that's a that's a wrong way to look at it, right. but you can look at it different ways. And it just it makes more sense if, if Patrick Beverly would have played 74 games this year. It makes a lot more. You just feel better about it, right? Mm-hmm. And and we're trending towards him missing what I, his usual amount, COVID. like 25, 30 games, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's that he's missed 12 and. Three of those were COVID. One of them was a suspension. Let's see how long. A couple ankle. of groins, an ankle, you know. Right. But right. I think I can't even remember what all of them. I, I think it's very revealing that neither one of us even thought for a second to think of, mm. say, Pat Beverly when you said, who on this roster? Who on the, I mean, yeah, no. Chris Finch will keep Beverly around. And, and Beverly mm. knows it. Finch really appreciates it. Finch never misses an opportunity to you know cite him as the difference and i remember the way you know it would be nice is if he was on beasley's contract and beasley <laughs> was on pat bev's contract right yeah. one more year of beverly would be real nice at the right. same number even if it's right. like you know a, that high 14 and if beasley was expiring 
Like that would totally, that would totally change things. Chris Finch talks about Pat Beverly the way Flip Saunders used to talk about Kevin Garnett. Wow. He would say, KG is the guy. I mean, I don't have to worry what goes on in that locker room. KG has got the locker room sewed up. Uh, you know, Flip would say, you know, KG will set the tone on defense for us. KG will do this. Fitch talks about Beverly the exact same way. Yeah. No, I Well, and we certainly have the evidence on the floor. And I think just from the, intera- the extra interactions that we get to see right. covering the team being there, I, I think the locker room part checks out too. The one just like gray hair in that is... Um, I love that gray hair. Patrick Beverly is a lot older than the rest of the group. And yes, I, yes. And I wonder how that in terms of locker room um interactions works because and you you can correct me on the kg part of this but for the most part like in that locker room were a lot of guys around his same age and his friends right yep and i don't know i i I don't know what difference that is that that just that just came to my mind well i mean i i think in that instance i would say more sam mitchell in fact in some ways he lines up a lot better with sam mitchell yeah that in, in terms of his tenure because sam was a salty guy who loved to keep everybody on their toes um you know different guys different ways even uh, like berea when he was here but just you know <laughs> right. we're just alive in the locker room just the way they act the way they you know that Pat Bev is, you know, actually we don't know it because we're not in there. It's not the same as when you saw, nobody would have known, for example, the way Butler and Jamal Crawford bonded in the locker room because they weren't that way at all outside the locker room. Inside the locker room, it wasn't Butler and Taj. It was Butler and Jamal, you know, mm-hmm. um, constantly. And that was so insightful that season, um, which I don't, being in the locker room that year, you saw the schism yes. between the, the Jimmy Butler side of the locker room and the Carl Anthony Town side of the locker room. Right. And Tyus Jones kind of towed the middle of both of them. No, Tyus um, Jones was not in the middle of that. He was the Butler side. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm not, he wasn't the... I think both Jimmy and Cat liked Tyus. Tyus was the But other than that, guy, there were the bifurcation. I, yeah, Tyus was the hometown yeah. guy. Um I don't think Tyus had any patience for Cat, and I think Tyus really liked Butler, partly because Butler was the alpha, and Butler liked Tyus, and partly because, let's face it, we'll put we'll put him in the old heads group. Tyus's game, yeah, Tyus's game really lined up with what Butler liked, you know. So, um, but all that said. You know, and then you had Jeff Teague over on the side who was like this weird <laughs> outlier, brutally honest with the press, just dropping, you know, science in, in all kinds of crazy ways. And at the same time, being this WWE guy and this weird musical taste guy, he was another really rich addition to that locker room. It was a great locker room. I miss the locker rooms. That's what we're doing. We're reminiscing about when we got to know. No, seriously. It's been been so long that I don't even really, like, think about it. And it probably isn't going to happen again. You know, a lot of people are saying. I hope not. A lot of people are saying. No, I hope so. I hope it does come back. A lot of people are saying now that players have had this freedom from the media, that that'll Mm. be something they really want. And they'll probably try to use some justification of virus or you know, right. something in the union contract will give you this as long as 
we don't have to have these guys lurking around as we dress and undress and talk shit about which i i you know i i i do understand from their their perspective right uh, to some extent but i also think the the other side of the argument that they might not understand is um is that it really does help us provide a lot of insight and ostensibly into different degrees um you know we are the microphone to them and and create intrigue in the product just again to some extent that you know that drives interest in right. in in the league drives interest in the product which makes it more expensive which yeah, i'm not taking credit for 50 million dollar contracts right but i i think i think some of that uh that that stuff does matter i wonder if any player would i don't know they might just they might just shake that off but well, they I might say, that. I think it's- I'll, I'll, I have my social media. I've got six people on my social media staff and I've got my yeah, own right. private social media account. Whenever I really want to go direct with people, screw the media. Mm-hmm. Right. No, and I, I, I think that's fair, but it's, it's also just accurate that um, when the information is being filtered through a theoretically, uh, right. No, I get it. Neutral source. I get it. it. it, it you know, it might you know, mean believe me, I'm, more. I'm, I am the dinosaur that will be carted out yeah. to the trash when all this happens. You know, I mean, uh, I, it's not <laughs> like uh, I'm going to uh, break the social media grip <laughs> that they have by uh, you're not <laughs> by worming my way into the locker room and getting you know, as long as Cat has a historical fact, he needs. Double check. Maybe I, I'll get called. <laughs> he on. loves you for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty common. Uh, uh, I I laugh. Um, all right. Last thing. Uh, Brooklyn on Sunday because people. Well, we got three days off here, so I'm thinking people will be listening to this. No KD that. and Kyrie. Right? It, it's it's uh. No, Kyrie will be playing. That's what I mean. No KD, yeah. but Kyrie. It isn't in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. is it? No, no, it's, it's here. That's it's right. Yeah. So, so Kyrie will play and Harden will play. Uh, we may see some Okogi there, although that'll be. Pat a- Bev is, is Pat Bev going to play? That's yeah. It. If Pat Bev is, uh, if Pat Bev doesn't play well, we'll certainly see Okogi. Um, I think Pat Bev mm-hmm. will play just because it's four days away and they're three days away now, I guess. Right. Um, I was watching them this morning, man. Kyrie doesn't look. No, I know. Any worse for No, him. I saw the Cleveland game and he was really Yeah, I watched that one too. Yeah. yeah. Um and Lamarcus Aldridge. Exactly. That is the Ooh. guy that, you know, he's getting the Blake Griffin minutes and he's changed the way they, you know, he's not a uh a lunch he is a lunch bill guy, but he's he's a usage guy. He's not a glue guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they rely right. on LA to uh you know uh basically get buckets inside and he's really working well with Kyrie too. Do you think they're going to win the championship? No. Personal who bias. Who would you, who are you, <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I know. Who do you, who, who are you going to take? Who would you take? I like yeah, Phoenix. Go on your head right now. I mean, I, I, I was thinking about it while I was watching uh, today and, and I think I, I, I'm at the point where I think I will take Brooklyn out of the East and, and then I like, Part of me wants to say Utah um, well, against them. A lot of it has to do with whether Donovan Mitchell can be a top yeah. 10 player. He's been a, 
you know, we're a little biased. I'm a little biased. Anyway. I'll, I'll admit this. Uh, Donovan Mitchell destroys this team, um, <laughs> you know, and so yeah. the, the, and, weren't all three of the Wolves wins against them last year without Donovan Mitchell? Probably. But what I do know is at least two. I probably see um, usually I see a player twice as often not playing the Wolves as I do them playing the Wolves. But that still means a third of the minutes that I see of those guys is usually against the Wolves, especially if they're in conference. Um, So um, I'm probably biased, but I do think that Mitchell has Mitchell makes Utah really formidable. I think that Gobert's absence has pretty well cinched his value. I mean, they were awful on defense without him and right back to being pretty good. Although they, they lost to like Houston the other night, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, I don't remember, but they, they've hit their bump. So maybe that, I, I think I, what I would say, I think I might've said Utah like a month ago. Yeah, me too. Um, me too. But I'm at I'm I'm Phoenix also. Uh and so I've got Brooklyn. Phoenix. Such a good team. Um they've got it's guys interesting that it's not obvious. This isn't right. Like well, you know, you know them. who's actually taken a step this year is Cam Johnson. I mean, he's yeah. that much derided draft pick that they got for the uh, Dario Sarge Culver. deal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and uh my God. <laughs> he's played my really, God. really well. He's played really well. And so uh I checked in on Culver's free throw percentage this year the other day. 40? Still 50%. Yeah, yeah. No, he, he's at 50. Well, you know, and, and Wancho just got traded again. I mean, that Pat Dev deal just <laughs> continues to make me laugh, you know. Although <laughs> Memphis is getting the last laugh, too. Boy, are they good. Yeah. But no, they're, they're not ready in the playoffs, I don't think. Yeah, I was uh, I was listening to um, Zach Lowe, and he had uh, Chris Harrington on who, who covered I love the- Chris Harrington. Yeah, great. Um, and man, was that like a love fest from two people I respect of right. like, or particularly Zach, um, in in almost like putting Memphis in the contender. I know. Well, and Don Schulman, who is another guy I really respect a great deal, who does the most informative power rankings by a country mile of anybody. Mm-hmm. I would highly suggest anybody who wants to have a broad range of knowledge of the NBA without watching a lot of NBA. Let's say you don't have league pass. If you read John Schulman's Monday power rankings every week, you will yeah. automatically have a pretty good handle on the NBA. He is that good, I think. Yeah. And he has Memphis first this week. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't buy it myself. I mean, I, yeah. I, 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 I see them as a good regular season team. I actually see them as like Utah three years ago or, you know, maybe Phoenix last year until Phoenix right. was even better than that. But I think a team needs to have playoff experience in order to get deep into the playoffs. I think that there are, I think year- that's the best matchup for the wolves. Yeah. If they make the playoff, I mean, yeah. easily yeah. in my view, right. I'm, I'm not, if they, if right. it's, if that's the three, six, I know. if the wolves get the six, best case scenario is is memphis and i mean i think memphis memphis is fine but i (laughs) i i I would go i think the wolves would win more than one i do i don't know i i i I, but but i would i think i would say wolf or memphis in six or seven Uh and and if it were wolves utah i'd probably go utah sweep if it were wolves suns right now i'd go sun sweep um 
Warriors, maybe the Wolves get one. I, you know, you know who else um, I think is a real dark horse, and, and I'm surprised I'm saying this because I don't like Jason Kidd as a coach, but Dallas looks really good lately. Yeah, yeah, no, but I mean they're they're really- Marquise Chris. <laughs> I know <laughs> he would have been an interesting in that Nas oh, man. we were talking about. He would have been interesting <laughs> last night, wouldn't he? He would have hit somebody, <laughs> don't you think? Yeah, probably. What a hothead. Uh, um, all right, Britt. Uh, this is fun. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad we got through the Atlanta game stuff somewhat quickly. Well, you <laughs> and, know, I uh, mean, as you said, uh, I, I was in a bad mood. I'm very rarely when I'm watching hoops. I, I'm in a. I'm a pleasant guy. You, you know, I'm talking nonstop. No, you're you're more of a. You're more of a fan this year. Admit it. No, I'm always a. You fan. Are. Oh, you're more of a fan of. Yeah, but I mean, I'm always a fan of basketball i mean the idea of watching the wolves yeah i enjoy this team definitely more this year than i have in most other years but what i'm saying is is that if if you have a situation where you get to see a bunch of players play um i don't care if they win 16 games Uh, i'm it's a worthwhile you know endeavor um so anyway um, you know, it was, it was, it was messy. It, it was, it was messy. And I think, again, I think part of this all is, is part of a good thing, which is that these games matter so much more. When was the last time that the 45th game of the season mattered for the Wolves? Right. The Butler, I mean, Butler 17, up. 18. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But then prior to that, it would have been Kevin Love. And people forget I mean, what a, what a Paul was put on that team. I mean, it was, I was arguing with fans. Fans hated that team. It was kind yeah. of weird. Um, I mean, I was defending. I think they kind of love this team, man. They liked them, yeah. Uh, you know, you'll have the cat hate, uh, uh, you know, is as somebody who helped fuel the cat hate, it's kind of ironic that I'm saying enough is enough. But, uh, mm. you know, I think enough is enough. No, I, but I, I think what they like is a lot of the other surrounding pieces, too, right. with cat being the be- like the tentpole, right? And around it 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 is it is a more fun team it it kind of i didn't find everything that transpired last night as egregious as even you but certainly as uh-huh. a lot of the fans but but even as you i don't i don't always you know like that right where <laughs> right right fuck you dane you know <laughs> um, <laughs> but like it, right. it's just it's all it's all different uh for for me i mean my first year and it was very much on a part-time basis covering this team was that 17, 18 team. So for me, it has been so much um, where the games don't matter past the right, second half right, of the season. Right. So it's, it, it's a, it's a new experience and it's, and it's much more, um, it's much more intriguing. Well, they screw it up in the next matters. two weeks. That's the question, right? That is the question. I don't know. I don't know the answer. To that. I hope not. I mean, I, 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 it, it makes doing my job a lot more fun when, uh, when they're in it. And I, I mean, they're, they're not going to fall. They're not going to fall out of it. Can you imagine? I mean, what it would take to finish 11th in the West right now. Don't even, don't even go. Don't end it. Don't end it. They would have to be like two and eight for the next, you know, 30 games. They would have to be like six and 30. Finch said it's go time. So it's go time, (laughs) you know. Let's uh let, let, let's see what happens. Next game, uh, Brooklyn on Sunday night. Brett, I'll see you at that game, and then I will talk to all of you listening to this. After that, until then, he's Brett. Read his column over at Min Post 
I'm Dane at the More MBA. Uh, talk to you soon. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.